This episode brought to you by Own the Gray Podcast. Discover how others age with attitude at ownthegray.ca. Welcome to Lunch with a Healer. I'm your host, Dr. Susan Hoffman. My guest today is D. Neil Elliott, and we'll be discussing his new book, A Higher Road, Cleanse Your Consciousness to Transcend the Ego and Ascend Spiritually, a seven-step process to inner peace, joy, love, abundance, and prosperity. To any outsider, Neil was highly educated, owned a profitable consulting firm, and had a successful career and an amazing wife and family. But things were not all they seemed to be. Neil was facing a lot of challenges. In a phrase, he was in a dark place. Quite by accident, he discovered a higher road. As he traveled that road, he found the key to transforming his life. Neil's desire and his new mission in life is to share the knowledge he gained and the process he used on his journey to self-awareness, together with the blueprint document he discovered that was instrumental in transforming his life. He wants to give you, regardless of your station in life, the tools and opportunity to empower yourself, transform your life, and draw peace, joy, love, and prosperity into your personal situation and environment. And now, my conversation with Neil. The best conversations happen when we're having lunch with our friends, especially when one is a healer. Pull up a chair and join us to expand your knowledge and open your mind. Welcome to Lunch with the Healer, Neil. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure. You've written an amazing book entitled A Higher Road, Cleanse Your Consciousness to Transcend the Ego and Ascend Spirituality, a seven-step process to inner peace, joy, love, abundance, and prosperity. And we're going to discuss that book today. But first, please share your pre-enlightened story with my listeners. I know it's <laughs> even briefly, just to give them a sense of yeah, where absolutely. it came from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so born in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, born in 1960. So I'll be 62 this coming May. Uh, lived in Canada my entire life across Canada. Uh, traveled the world. Uh, second marriage. Um, first marriage had two children. Uh, second marriage, my love of my life brought her child to that marriage. So together we have three. My daughter married a Texan, so I have five grandchildren, and they're all in Texas. A professional engineer with an MBA. And that's only important because when we start talking about the book. Um, and I worked in the hydroelectric industry for majority of my working life and um, over 34 years, managing small projects, a few hundred thousand to larger projects, a hundred million. So that's kind of a snapshot of who I am. I'm the youngest of six. My father passed away when I was five. My mother had to go out and work uh, in order to support the family. So we were consequently kind of left on our own. My grandmother looked after me initially. Uh, and then we just walked to school and stuff with us in the 60s. Uh, <clears throat> lived in a log cabin, had no running water, water in a tank above the roof for washing and bathing. But uh, everything was well water, uh, coal oil lamps, <laughs> outhouse, <laughs> uh, all those kinds of things. So quite a stark difference. Got an engineering degree and then went into corporate world. In the 90s, um, 
uh, I decided I would like to kind of be more uh, adaptive and uh, open to other people's ideas. And so I read books by Wayne Dyer, Napoleon Hill, Carolyn Mice, Tony Robbins, those kinds of books. Positive thinking came out in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And um, <clears throat> tried to change how I thought. And I couldn't, you know, I did about 10 years of that work and I couldn't fundamentally change what I believe to be right or wrong, good or bad, true or false. Went into consulting in 2002 and uh, from 2002 to 2015, I slowly drove myself into this deep and despondent depression. And in 2015, I realized I was there and we're all great actors in our environment. We can put forth whatever we want to the world. So new one knew that I actually felt this way. Um, not my wife, not my family, not clients. So I picked up some new books and I thought, I got to see if I can get out of this. And I, I started to study some scientific books and some new spiritual books. And um, again, kind of duplicated this process I did in the 90s. But I still couldn't fundamentally change my thinking. And that culminated in me sitting down <clears throat> in November of 2017 and craft planning out my suicide, crafting a suicide note. Okay. Let's stop there because that's, that's a good place to actually start. Now, I, what I found interesting in your book, which, which is so relatable, is that a lot of people have a sense that there's more to life, and, and myself included. I mean, I've started reading all the same books as you back in the 90s, very interesting, and nothing sustainable changed. And outwardly, I can see that someone looking at your life, because you lived middle class or upper middle class life, I'm assuming, would think you've got it all. Absolutely. Yeah. But clearly you didn't. My question is, you, you were sitting at a table writing a suicide note in the depths of despair. What saved you? <laughs> well, uh, uh, yes, I agree with that statement. You know, a week prior to me right, sitting down at the table and writing that suicide note, I had fortuitously come across some information, and I call it a blueprint document. And it promised to liberate me from my thinking if I studied it and practiced what it, what it taught. So retrospectively for a moment, I had read some scientific material um, prior to this document showed it, showing up. And I can look back now and say that scientific material was laying a foundation for me to open me up to receive this new information. It was creating this environment in my mind, which opened up uh, this fissure, if you will, that enabled me to actually understand that what I thought as right or, right or wrong, true or false, good or bad, was really fundamentally just a belief. So I think that's the first thing that happened. But so, so this foundation was laying, <clears throat> was being laying for me to open my mind to receive this new information. And this new information kind of leveraged off of this foundational information, which I all share in a higher road, by the way, 
um, that enabled me to bridge this gap between spirituality and science. And it is so logical and it's so rational and it is so believable and understandable that for me, it just made sense. The scientific readings that you did, was it about the quantum theory? Was it quantum mechanics? Is that what it uh, was? No, no. So, so the scientific read, so let's talk about the science stuff first. So, um, you know, first off, I read a, a book which really dealt with mind and memes, but the, the book that the author expressed himself in, in, a, in a good way for me to actually understand that everything that I thought was really just a belief. And that was the first thing that you have to understand. So, <clears throat> you know, when we're born into this world, we come into this world without being able to make conscious decisions for ourselves. That doesn't happen until you reach about age five, your brain develops where you make your own decisions. So up to age five, you're really just this sponge or this, if you've been fortunate enough to be born into a family with means that can feed you and look after you and care for you, you're this little embodiment of joy and you're just a sponge and you're soaking up everything in your environment, your family's emotions, their attitudes, their language, their beliefs. And it's starting to shape your beliefs that you adopt and um, reinforce over a lifetime. Then at age five, you begin to make your own decisions and uh, you're continuing to learn because you're going to school and you're meeting more people. And from age five to, or excuse me, from babyhood to adulthood, we think we're becoming versed in the ways of the world, but really what we're doing is we're shaping our conscious reality of ourself. We're shaping our beliefs and our beliefs uh, it, really what you see is merely a reflection of your beliefs. So what you think your external world is, is really just this reflection of your beliefs. And if you can change your beliefs, you can change what you see in the world. Even though nothing materially changes around you, your perception of what you see and how you feel about what you've seen or, or, or uh, observe uh, will entirely change. We shape this consciousness fabric by these beliefs and it becomes our reality. So the first thing that you need to understand is that you've programmed all of this into your subconscious mind and your unconscious mind. And you need to process those, those beliefs and those patterns of um, those emotional patterns and patterns of, of responding to people and thinking um, are like concrete. You need to break them up and dissolve them. And they're very tough to do. So you actually need a process to do that. Okay. And the first thing, the first thing for me in that process was to understand that what I believe to be right or wrong, true or false, good or bad, is really just a belief. And this was from the first book you read. This isn't from That's the, from the fir- very first book I read. The name is? The name is uh, Virus of the Mind. Right. You write that right. in the book. I just feel that it's probably no coincidence that you came across that book. Oh, I look back now and go, this is all groundwork that was laid for me to lay this foundation to open me up to be able to accept this information. And I, my mission now is to, and I believe it's, you know, kind of the mission of what one of the missions that I'm reason I'm here is I, I want to share this fundamental information with everybody who will listen 
to give them the opportunity to change their lives. And the more people that go through this process, like I've gone through and join me in this, we will eventually bring this world into a new era of love and peace. And that's my goal is to be part of that process to help make this change for our planet. Yeah, that is a wonderful goal. I'm not sure if I will see that in my lifetime or how many lifetimes it will take, but I think we will get there. I do. So you read that book. And then what happened next? Um, let me tell you, like, without disclosing all of the books, um, <clears throat> you know, I, you really need to pick up a higher road to understand this process. Absolutely. And, and so, um, you know, first thing we talk about consciousness and stuff like that. And, and what we're really doing is we're opening people's minds up or what I've constructed a higher road to actually go through the same process I went through that opened me up to be able to receive this other information, which did this final bridge. And this other information, you need to come at it as a small child, full of wonder and joy and curiosity and no prejudgments. And so what my goal is to try and help people go through this process that I did that opened me up because not everybody's going to be in this depressed state I was in. And you certainly don't need to be there to make this transformation for, for your life. And so what I want to do is try and give everybody the same chance. So that, so the next books I read, one was on epigenetics and it described that and, and all founded in science, but it actually explains that <clears throat> what we think about affects the expression of a cell. The expression of a cell is the work that it does. So, so really what this book did is it explained that what you think about either promotes the well-being of a cell or is detrimental to it. So we draw to ourselves health or uh, illness. This is further explained as we go through uh, this whole process, but that's the second thing. The, the third book I read was on neuroplasticity. And what the neuroplasticity books described was that we can change the neural pathways in our brain to think differently through different paths in our brain, and we can grow new brain cells. And it's the growth of the new brain cells and the misconception that the brain atrophies over time. So those are two key things that came out of that for me. Uh, and then I read a book by an author that shared her near-death experience. Yes. And this is an author who had suffered from an aggressive cancer over a four-year period. Uh, her body weight dropped from, you know, a normal body weight to 75 to 90 pounds. Uh, she couldn't lift her head on her own. <clears throat> she needed oxygen 24-7. And uh, in that fourth year, you know, her body was riddled with tumors from her waist to her head and she fell into a coma. They rushed her to the hospital. The admitting physicians told her husband and family she wouldn't make it through the night. And 24 hours later, she woke up and declared she would be okay. And within two weeks, they couldn't find a trace of cancer in her body. Mm -hmm. Her description of what happened when she was in this coma, uh, near-death experience, further expanded my new concept of consciousness. Like I used to think consciousness was all in my brain, 
whatever I thought was um, something I had been exposed to, learned, or, you know, experienced. And her concept of consciousness, and, and it goes even beyond this now, or my understanding goes even beyond this now, but this woman's concept of consciousness was that when she was in this near-death state, she felt like she was becoming part of everything, be it a plant, a rock, an animal, a planet. And so her expression of that was that uh, consciousness is not only within us, it is everything. Consciousness is in everything. She brought back a couple other messages. One was <clears throat> that we're not judged after death, and we come from love and we return to love. When I read her book, I, I believed it. I couldn't understand it, but I believed it. And her descriptions very, you know, in depth and colorful. And, and she has some good analogies to try and describe it because we don't have the human language to actually describe what she experienced. What it did for me was it actually gave me permission to sit down and craft that suicide note because I felt like I wasn't going to be judged after death. That gave me that little lack that little last bit of thing to say, okay, it's okay. If you commit suicide, you're not going to be judged for it. You're not going to go to hell. And, uh, <clears throat> but this other material had shown up, which said to me, study me, <laughs> give me a chance. And but, it was, but, but I have to interrupt you, but with all that reading and you being an engineer and understanding the science behind it, the neuroplasticity and the capability of you to change your thoughts and then reading uh, Anita Murjani's book uh, about her near-death experience and miraculous radical remission, you still were at that table writing the suicide note. Absolutely, because, and the reason is because all of the processes, although they were good, they never got to the fundamental thing. And the fundamental thing we have to do and understand is that what we have programmed in our subconscious mind in our su and in our unconscious mind, we actually need a process to break those up and dissolve. Right. And it takes time to do that. You know, this new material promised that it could liberate me from this thinking. And I thought, you know, I was trying to hang on to anything. One last chance, because if right. I commit suicide, I can't come back. I can't do this. Right. So I thought, okay, well, I'll give it a go. I can always push my, be an engineer, always push my <laughs> suicide out. <laughs> and so I'll give this a go. If it works, great. If it doesn't, and it doesn't, uh, then it doesn't, I'll commit suicide. And so I started studying this material and it happens slowly and it happens imperceptibly, but it is so logical and so rational and, and so believable for me that I just kept following the process and studying it and, and doing the things that it uh, recommended I do. And a year later, uh, 13 months after I beat, well, a year later, I woke up and my depression was entirely gone. I was full of this inner peace and love and joy, and I felt totally prosperous and abundant. And it, at 13 months, so late December 2018, I went into these two meditations. They were two days apart. As you go through this process, you will go through vibrational frequencies of uh, increased vibrational frequency shifts in your mind. I went into this meditation, these two meditations, and um, I've shifted through these high levels of vibrational frequency. And then 
this spiritual energy just flowed into my head and, and it enveloped my whole body. And I felt just totally cradled in unconditional love. And we don't have the language. This is beyond any unconditional love you would give to anybody else or your children in this planet. It is totally non-judgmental, totally supportive, totally cradles you and, and envelops you. And I just, I just wanted to stay there forever. I didn't care what happened to my body. I didn't care what ailments it had. I didn't care what anybody had done to me in the past. And I just, I had two of these two days apart. And when this happened to me, I knew that what I had just learned, what I now know, I knew it was true. And from that point on, it has just been this ever evolving and deepening and expanding understanding that I, of, I have of where we come from, why we're here and what we're here to do. And this path to awaken us and and fill us with love. I mean, we we come from unconditional love and we return to it. And we're not here to please God. We are here to express God. Right. And when you understand the mechanisms of the ego and why the ego was created to do what it does and this interaction between your soul and your ego and um, how your ego has control until your soul wakes up and starts this process to gain mastery over your ego, right. you will continue to be subjected to all of the things that you're currently subjected to around this world and in life and your thinking. Right. But when you take this inner journey and you have this new knowledge that you'll gain and you follow this process, you come to understand anything in your external environment is, you know, your family, your friends, your bank book, the house you live in, where you live, what you do, your position in life. None of that matters. Life is this inward journey. And when you embark on this journey in true sincerity, and you're open to learning these things, I tell you, your life just changes. It is totally, for lack of a better word, it's miraculous. It is amazing. Becoming enlightened or having a spiritual awakening is not a quick fix. And to have it be sustainable, you have to do a lot of work. And it takes a lot of courage to go inward. The process is part of the enjoyment of it. The process is the enlightenment, is the journey, don't you think? Oh, it, it is absolutely. It is no matter what path you take, our goal is to enable our soul to wake up, to gain mastery over our ego, and to express unconditional love to everyone and everything throughout the world. Yeah. And when I say unconditional love, like when you understand the mechanics of the universe and why and how, what was before the Big Bang, the impetus for the Big Bang, what happened at the time of the Big Bang, and then how creation came about, and then why and how we are here, and how the um, ego is a tool of creativity, a tool of creation to create individuality out of the wholeness of itself. So your soul is a fragment of 
uh, I'll call it divine consciousness. So right. whether you call it the Tao, the divine, the universal, our source, Allah, whatever you want to call it, your soul is a fragment of divine consciousness. It is here through many lifetimes to learn the lessons that it wants to learn, to uh, have the experiences that it wants to experience, to take these back to the wholeness of our reality. Our reality is not here on earth. Our reality is our soul. Right. And when your soul gains mastery of your ego, you will express unconditional love to everything and everyone. When I see someone today, I see their soul is equal to my soul. It is unconditional love. It is perfect. And anything that they're doing that I may consider reprehensible or not a good thing to do, I know is just their path to the light. It is the lessons that they need to learn um, in order to wake up and start this inward journey, whether it's this lifetime or 300 lifetimes from now. (laughs) You know, I have no idea of that. What we think about and what we believe is right or wrong, true or false, good or bad, is really just beliefs. And we continue to pollute our stream of consciousness by what we expose ourselves to, what we read, what we watch on TV, what we watch in movies, and anything that, you know, uh, perpetuates the things that are contrary to our source, to unconditional love, to the golden qualities, divine aspirations of uh, unconditional love. Anything that is contrary to that is reinforcing your patterns of thinking and believing. And through your thinking and your feeling, you create every experience and every event that comes into your life. And I describe this in the book and I use an example uh, for myself of how I unknowingly, unwittingly, and ignorantly manifested a $60,000 hardtop Lexus convertible into my life. That's a good one. And then I describe later in the book what I really did through the law of cause and effect, through the mechanics of the universe, how and why that Lexus actually came into my life. Right. And we do this with everything in our life. So everything that comes to you, you've created. You think with electrical impulses in the brain, you feel with magnetic impulses in the nervous system. The magnetic impulses in your nervous system center and bond these uh, electrical impulses uh, in your brain, these thoughts, into a cohesive whole, and it creates a blueprint of a future event or experience that's going to come into your life. As you magnetize that with repetitive thinking and feeling, you will eventually draw that into your life, be it a, a month you know, a day, a month, a year, 20 years in the future. Today, when I see someone, I, my goal is to always bring love to what I see. And it's a process. This is, I'm not, I'm still a work in progress here. (laughs) This does not happen overnight. But, you know, if somebody's doing reprehensible things, I recognize immediately their soul is equal to my soul. I recognize that what they're doing is really um just the is an expression of their inner reality which they have uh shaped and developed and it's part of this um egoic thinking and egoic responses to life right and so i recognize that that's what's going on for them so i don't judge them for it i know it's just their process 
to finally wake up to the light. And um, so I have no judgment. I may choose not to make them a friend and hang with them, but I don't judge them. Uh, But the mental harm that people subject themselves to, unfortunately, it is anchored in their beliefs. And if they can change their beliefs, they can change their experience of that. And they will no longer be subjected to it. In your book, A Higher Road, you talk about the substantial book, the recordings, the letters. And is that not the most substantial book that really helped you? So this, yeah. this foundation was laid with these science books and this near-death experience. Right. And then the, uh, the blueprint material, which I don't disclose, I, people need to come to this through reading A Higher Road because I want them to have the same opportunity I did to accept this. So I don't disclose what that is, but I offer, right. I've gathered all of the material together. I put it in a blueprint document. I've gathered it. And when people are going through this process, they can learn how to reach out to me to get that information. Uh, it's in a higher road and I will send them this uh, compendium of material uh, when they decide that they want to embark on this journey. So right. first off, you know, my recommended way to read a higher road is read it cover to cover, understand the process in its entirety, mm-hmm. and then make a decision for yourself whether it's something that you would like to do. If it is, then go back and start with some of the science material or directly with step one. And uh, if it isn't, that's totally fine. There's no right or wrong. Uh, If you've bought a print copy of the book, I ask you if you could please just pass it on to somebody else without colorful commentary, because we can never accurately judge the inner reality of another person. Someone who comes across quite affable and kind and considerate may be an entire mess inside. Absolutely. so if you just pass that book on to them, suggest they read it, maybe the biggest gift that you give them in your life. And I uh, so I ask that people do that. I agree. So how did this uh, find you? You know, it was, um, it was just this fortuitous thing. I was looking for, uh, I was looking for something different. I was looking for the I am discourses, if I remember correctly. And um, this, I don't know. I somehow came across this material. Like it was just, it was kind of this bizarre circumstance, but I can look back now and go, it was all divinely ordained to arrive to me in this fortuitous way at this right time for me to be able to accept it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what people say when these magical things happen because they're, it's synchronous. It's the way it's supposed to be. A few questions. Are you still working as an engineer? I am. The, the pandemic, so, you know, end of May 2019 with the pandemic, my, because uh, I'm a consultant, my work dried up. And um, I'd be open some, to some new work, but I'm not currently searching it. My, my goal at the moment is to, um, and will be for the rest of this life for sure, is to share this information with people and, and try and help change the consciousness of the world one individual at a time. Because I was wondering if this changed, if you found your life, your passion. I mean, engineering could be a passion, but it sounds like this is your new passion and you're going to do it through writing? Yes, writing and sharing and speaking engagements and... You know, and and likely, even though I'm not a big social media buff, uh, likely get more into doing some social media things. 
trying to um, help people, trying to bring pe- this into people's awareness so that they'll at least give it an opportunity. If someone wanted to label your book, uh, would you call it a self-help book? <laughs> I mean, because you know, this people like to label, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's this, it's, it's a, kind of this hybrid between a memoir and a self-help, spiritual self-help book. Yeah. And it's, and I would call it a spiritual self-help book, but I'll tell you what, it is a self-help book, period. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, what you're trying to change in life. When you understand the things that are, that you will learn when you go through this process, it will change everything in your life. Yeah. I think it's important that you talked about your life. I really do, because it gives the reader a sense of where you started and a lot of it is definitely relatable. If you were to give some key concepts for my listeners that you would like them to know that is included in a higher road, what would you say the seven key concepts would be? Um, well, I can tell you that uh, the seven steps, but you know, there's, um, if we have time and maybe we don't, but I wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of the science, some of the I science stuff. I love the science part. So let me tell you a little bit about science, some of the science stuff, and then we'll tell everybody what the steps are at a high level. So, you know, what do we know today in science that we didn't know 100 years ago or 200 years ago? What we know is that at a subatomic level, we are all just energy. So science believes there's a big bang. Out of that big bang came the material universe, came electromagnetism in the material universe. Over time, these electrical particles uh, fused to form uh, elements. And then these elements randomly got together to form a living molecule. And these living molecules randomly got together to form the first cell. And then over billions of years, we have what we see in all the various life forms with uh, cells. And so let's talk about cells for a moment. So you get the sperm to fertilize the ovum. And you have one cell that divides into two, divides into four, and so on. And over nine months, you build this intricate body, uh, which has over 50 trillion cells in it. What we know in uh, science today is that every cell in the body has the library of information for the entire body. The only difference between a liver cell and a skin cell is the work that it does. And so these cells get together and they will you know, work together to build a liver. They'll grow this liver over time. They'll maintain it over a lifetime. And they never intrude on anybody else's work. They never suddenly spring into making an ear when they're building this liver. And there's more harmony in our cells in our body than we display as humans working on a joint project. So we know now we, let's talk about one cell. So the cell has a permeable membrane um, around it, which gives it uh, protection and individuality. The cell has a nucleus and the cell can discern. So the question is, when did consciousness first creep into living matter? So a cell can discern what nutrition is going to be healthy for it and helpful to it. And it'll accept it through this permeable membrane. It discerns when there's this buildup of toxic waste and it'll eject it out of the membrane. That is the first act of consciousness. You know, scientists could take this leap and say, yeah, that's an act of consciousness. 
if there's consciousness in a cell, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the living molecules that got together to form a cell? And if there's consciousness in the living molecules, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the elements that combine to form a cell, uh, the first living molecule? Mm-hmm. And because living molecules is a specific combination of elements that have combined to form this living molecule. And if there's consciousness in the elements, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the electrical particles that got together to form these elements? And I think that, you know, people could, when they follow this process and this logical understanding, they will come to realize that this life force energy that flows through us is really this perfecting process that is logical and rational and there's nothing random in the universe. And when you understand why and how this life force energy, what it really is and how it flows through us, and then how we use the mechanics of the universe, these mechanics of electromagnetism to create every event and every experience that comes into your life, you can make a consciousness choice to either carry on as you currently are living life as you do, or going through this process to take control of your life, let your soul gain mastery over your ego, and to begin the spiritual awakening. And I can tell you, if you go through this process, it is the most amazing, wonderful, magical thing that you're ever going to do. And you will just view people differently. You'll view life differently. You'll view everything in your environment differently. And you won't be caught up in the chaos of the world. I think the other thing that people have to understand is that whatever is created individually through your thinking and feeling, when we collectively think about the same things and have these same either loving or hateful, vengeful feelings, all of that is a consciousness and movement and movement in consciousness. It is a law of cause and effect. It will come into manifested form. You cannot escape this process. Right. And look at the world today. And look at the world today. And if all of this negative stuff that's been going on, there's things already put in motion that are going to come into manifested form through our collective thinking and feeling. Yeah. And so when things get worse than they currently are, if you want to escape this and you want to come to this place of inner peace and joy and love, you need to start going through this process. And you can view those events and those things that are happening in the world in a much different light. And you can escape the fear. Everything that you're looking for in love, peace, joy, prosperity, abundance, security, it's all within you. It's got nothing to do with anything outside of you. So question, with nothing potentially changing in your situation, you do feel abundant. You feel at peace. You don't need to have more in terms of... God, less is better. Exactly. Less is better. As soon as I started going through this, it's like, I'm just trying to get rid of everything that I have. I still have a lot of things to get rid of because all the things that we've collected and stored over a life, you know, that we th- were, you know, kind of working this goal. Oh, I got to get this. Oh, I got to yeah. get that. Oh, I want yeah. this. You know, they become 
dull and mundane and boring after a while, the whole novelty of this new ownership wears off. And so we set another goal, we chase for another thing. And this is all part of this process to finally wake up and understand that the peace and the security and the love and the joy and the happiness, it's all within you. It's got nothing to do with what's around you. Have people around you noticed the difference in you? Have your family, your friends? I would say that they've noticed the difference. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I'm still a work in progress. I have things I'm working on to get rid of because, you know, a lifetime of uh, these embedded programming. So, you know, if you ask my wife, she'll say, yeah, you've changed, but you still have these other little annoying things you do. Um, <laughs> okay. But I, but, uh, you know, but I can see, I view them now and I understand when my ego's jumped in and taken control of a situation. Right. And then I work to uh, get my ego out of the way. Okay. And so that's part of this process. Right now, I'm very clear about whenever my ego has jumped in, in a conversation or reacting in some way. Uh, but, you know, other people, friends and stuff like that, they, they know the difference. They see the difference. They view me differently. Everybody externally views you differently than your spouse, right? <laughs> so. Yes, I hope so. <laughs> um, so it's honestly, it's like a computer software update to your brain, to your thoughts. So, you know, I was, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. So an analogy I'm using right now, and I maybe haven't honed it perfectly, but it's like when we're growing up, we're, we're, we have one of these cars that, um, you know, has two steering wheels in it, the driver training cars. Right. So the, right. so your ego is in the passenger side and it's actually programming the car. So it's a self-driving car, but the ego still has control when it wants to do something that's not self-programmed. Your soul is in the other side, the, the driver training side. And it's stronger, but it's bound down and can't do anything until you actually start to release the bindings. And so as you're going through this process, what you're doing is you're actually freeing your soul to start to take control of that car. And so it will start to override things and then go through this process of quelling the ego and then reprogramming the self-driving part of your car in addition. Again, wonderfully said. So are you doing a lot of deep breathing? Is that one of the ways you're trying in perhaps uh, some form of meditation or prayer to release some of these limiting beliefs? You know, so now I'm four years into this from 2018. So when I first started, I didn't do anything with breathing. And as as a matter of fact, as you go into these states of consciousness, you will know that you're reaching your target when you're barely breathing. But now what happens is now that I'm in this, understand this, I'm very conscious of this duality that we live in. And we're here in this duality for a reason. So our ego has control and our soul is, you know, here to gain mastery over the ego. And we live in this dual world. We live in our reality, which our soul is. And then in this kind of dreamlike world, this experiential world of our ego, because I'm in this real consciousness understanding of this duality and when my ego is taking control and then the things I need to do to bring it, maybe reduce a fear, eliminate a fear, or just behave differently in a moment. 
then I use um, breathing to bring me into that state. So the mind controls the body, the breath controls the mind. And when you do some of this deep breathing and you do this consciousness focus, so I did this yesterday at the dentist. So I'm in the dentist. I don't mind going to the dentist, but it's not a favorite activity. <laughs> so, you know, at the dentist and they're doing, you know, the hygienist is doing the cleaning and stuff. And so I thought, you know, we, so your soul is unified in the, in divine consciousness. It's a fragment of divine consciousness. So when you leave, you're unified, but you are still an individual as you, as you shape and hone your personality over many lifetimes, you are an individual expression of God, if you will. And you have your own unique expression of unconditional love. And when you finally transcend your ego and not, uh, don't have to come back here anymore. You know, it is this, it is this experience of God wanting to God, if you will, or the divine, the universal wanting to experience itself that it's created creation and bring back the richness of these different experiences to itself. And so when you're here and you're experiencing things, you can get help from our source. You can get help from other souls that are not incarnated at this time. And so yesterday at the dentist, what I did was, you know, I was just having this experience and I know that this experience that I'm having, these feelings I'm having, the reaction I'm having is really just for all of us at soul level to enjoy these reactions and these experiences for each other. So what through breathing, then I brought in and said, you know, to myself, I said, you know, please come and join me through this experience and just, and just feel what I am feeling. And all of a sudden I was just filled with this spiritual energy and this peace and this calm as we collectively enjoyed the experience that I was experiencing. Mm, I tell you, this is just, you, you will just have an entirely different concept of why we're here and what we're doing and your life just totally changes. It, it doesn't happen overnight. No, I know that. I know. And, and uh, that's one of the things that I really appreciated about your book is that you make sure that we know that it doesn't happen overnight. It's a process, but it's well worth it, clearly. And everything you've articulated, it's, I'm, I'm salivating at the thought of feeling like this. You know, I just wanted to make one more comment before we draw this to a close. You know, you mentioned epigenetics. The interesting thing about epigenetics and what has gotten people's interest about it is its pertinence to the physical body in the anti-aging effect. And I find that so interesting because as I'm learning my own spiritual journey, I feel that the mental diet, your mental diet, your epigenetic mental diet is just as important, probably actually more important than what you do physically. Don't you agree? Oh, I would agree that if you think nutrition is important for your body, and it is the right nutrition, what you feed your mind is more important for your overall health and well-being yeah. and mental state and physical state and all the people and all the things around you. Agree. What you feed your mind is the most important thing. Yeah. 
I, I believe so. Where can my listeners find you, Neil? So um, a higher road, cleanse your consciousness to transcend the ego and ascend spiritually, a seven-step process to inner peace, joy, love, abundance, and prosperity. It's by D. Neil Elliott. So my author website is dneilelliott.com, but an easy way to get there is ahigherroad.com. Uh, all my social media links are on there. The book is available globally wherever books are sold, uh, in print or in uh, ebook, Kindle, Apple, Nook, Kobo. And, uh, you know, an efficient way to get it uh, uh, is Amazon. I mean, they're very fast with the print copies. And of course, uh, Kindle, Apple, Nook, Kobo, you get it instantly when you do that. So, right. This has been fascinating. I was so excited for this because you're the author of this fascinating book. And I got a lot of my questions answered. So uh, I'm on this journey, and I hope a lot of my listeners will join me. And Dean Neil Elliott, thank you very, very much for being with me today. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Susan. It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I hope that uh, this uh, piques people's interest to, to look at the book and give it a chance. I'm sure it will. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and share it with your friends. And join us next time for Lunch with a Healer. Now you can share your thoughts with us. Your comments, questions, and suggestions are all welcome. Go to speakpipe.com slash lunch with a healer and record your message. Try it out today. Mm -hmm.